song I wrote, you might want to sing it note for note, don't worry, be happy, and every life has some trouble, when you worry, make it doubt. Ooh, 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 ooh. Hakuna Matata ooh, 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 ooh. 
you happy? He's happy. Are you happy over here? You gonna sing with me? We're so glad that you're here. It's awesome. I'm so glad you're happy. Sorry I didn't get to this side, so hi. It's good to say hi, Julie. So good to see all of you. We're so glad that you're here. And if you haven't figured it out, this is Tropical Sunday. I was just so excited I gave up my own lay. Isn't that nice? But we're so glad, again, just welcome your first-time visitors. We're so glad you're here. Uh, take a couple of minutes there and fill out a Connect card. You'll find it there in the back of the seat in front of you, a little pencil there as well. Yep, we got you, Rusty. Okay, well, thank you very much, Jackson. Appreciate you, man. And uh, woo. let me tell you about some things that's coming up here. We all know that this is Tropical Sunday, and uh, if you would like, on your way out today, off to the left, there about a connections room, there's a little photo shoot area that you can take pictures. It makes it look like you're in the tropic mine, you know? And you can send that off on Facebook and say, look where I'm at. Yeah. See? We got you fixed up. But also, then next Sunday is awesome chocolate Sunday. Yes. Now, the Lay's that we passed out, not these, but the other ones in the little yellow bags, okay? You can bring those back and dip them in chocolate next week if you want to. And matter of fact, we got leftover donuts. Um, from the car show yesterday, we're going to hang on to a few of those. You can dump them in the chocolate next week and freshen them up a little bit. But we don't have any bacon left over, though, for some reason. Uh, you know, it all got ate up. Wow. wow. But anyway, please come back next Sunday as we celebrate Chocolate Sunday, a part of our staycation program. But we're not here just to celebrate chocolate and tropical Sunday. We're also here to celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as well. And to just to be happy together. And uh, if you're kind of concerned about your faith or maybe you haven't uh, made that step yet and you want to learn more, Next Sunday, right after each service, is a getting started class. We'll be out in the connections room. We'll be glad to sit down with you one-on-one -on -one and talk to you about that. If you don't want to wait till next week, uh, seek one of us out. Doc, myself, Steve, any elder in here? We've got people back in the prayer room of praying for you, elder back there. You can stop by there if you want to talk about faith before you leave here today. We want to share that with you. And one thing about being in the tropics, everybody just thinks that it's so cool, isn't it? Maybe you see it on Facebook where all these people take pictures about, hey, this is where I'm at. Look at this. This is me in Bahamas. <laughs> you don't believe that? No. I'm crushed. Okay, check this out. Here's, here's me in Florida. Watch this. That was right after I had a pedicure. Yeah. 
and it will wild how people do that. You know, they take pictures of their feet. This is where I'm at. Enjoying it. Well, and, and if you notice, though, as things get on, as they're there longer, kind of check out the skin. See, they that a little nice little tan going on there. And then right toward the end of their vacation time, it kind of looks like this. Nobody's laughing. You've got two legs that they just didn't roll them over. They're called hot dogs, okay? A lot of people will do that, too. They'll take pictures of hot dogs and say, make it look like their legs are sticking out there. But, you know, a lot of people will also, as we share in our time, and think about, man, the tropics. Oh, man, that is so cool place to be. All of the troubles of the world will pass away. And there's no problem. That's kind of what we think about the tropics. And, you know, what? I've done a little research. And you know, in some of the tropical islands, that there's a higher crime rate there than there is here in America. You know, you've heard the old adage, the grass is always greener on the other side. Well, if I could just go, if I could just be there, it would be so different. But here's where we're at. We're here today. Because you see, a lot of the tropical countries would say, man, this is the place to be. You need to be on the beach. And don't worry about the crime rate. Don't worry about that. Just come on down. It'll be, it'll be good. Be, don't worry. Be happy. But we even use that in our own spiritual life, too. Because maybe there's sin that we deal with and struggle that we deal with, and we're just tired. And we get a little apathetic about it and just kind of push it aside. Don't want to deal with it anymore. I don't want to worry. I want to be happy. You know, you can be happy. You can push away that apathetic attitude and come to the great healer, Jesus Christ. Doc's going to be sharing a little bit more about our spiritual apathy, but right now let's stand together. Let's sing and give praise and glory to God.
great He. I believe. I believe in what He's doing. What He can do. What He, what he will do. I've lived stories that have proved Your faithfulness. I've seen miracles my mind can't comprehend. And there is beauty in what I can't understand. Jesus, it's you. Jesus, it's you. Oh, I the wonder-working God, the wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen, too good to not believe.
darkness to life. You are the one that can break our chains. We find freedom in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat? Shalom. Me. Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so, Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't. Number one, will you admit that you need some healing? Question number two, you want to be healed? That's where we're going this morning. Let's pray together. Father, not just each of us individually, but we just live in a broken world right now. So much pain, so much anger, so much polarization. And you've asked us to be lights in this world. Show them a different way, a different path. 
And yet too often we share that anger and that polarization. Father, we need your wisdom. We need your strength. You want the best for each of us. And oftentimes we won't even admit we're broken. And even if we do admit we're broken, we don't look to you for the way. Give us wisdom. Give us courage. Give us a sense of that joy that our world desperately needs. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. On a different path, how many of you guys use WebMD? How many of you guys? Raise your hands. I don't see too many hands up. Of course, there are lights in my eyes, but the rest of you are probably lying. Um, I found this article in, it was actually in WebMD last year from April, and, and the title of the article was Millennials Flock to Telehealth. Online research. One survey reports that 69% of millennials, basically people 25 to 40, somewhere in that ballpark, 69% search online for medical advice rather than going to a doctor. (laughs) 25% trust Google to diagnose their symptoms. 83% do their own research after talking to a doctor, and 42% trust their own research more than they trust their doctor. Okay? Another survey found that 0.2%, 0.2% of all doctors recommend that their patients use WebMD to diagnose and treat their ailments. Actually, I just made that one up, but I suspect it's not too far off. I ran into this last week when I was fiddling for this sermon. Please don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. You can probably see that in a lot of doctor's offices, right? My son-in-law, Tommy's a family practice physician over in Lawrenceburg. And he puts your online research, medical research, right up there with those medical commercials that say, ask your doctor about, right? Whatever. And he puts both things right up there with those who stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Now, I know that there's some value to those sites if you use them with an incredible amount of humility. But guys who study this will tell you that they create some real issues, some real problems. Because here's the deal. The more you think you know, the less you trust those who really do know. Did you know that? And that can be a real problem. And whatever symptoms that we are experiencing can usually point to two or three different possible diagnoses. And we oftentimes pick the wrong one, right? We're good at that. We pick the worst. Example, I was digging some post holes about a week ago, putting up some fencing, got a little bit sick to my stomach, got really sweaty, had some leg cramps, extreme fatigue, and some back pain. So I just looked up all of those symptoms, and it turns out I was having a heart attack, right? Now, I know it's possible that it was in the 90s and I'm fat and old and out of shape, but I like the diagnosis heart attack better, right? And another issue that it causes is that sometimes when we do our own Google research, we go to the doctor and we tell them what tests we need. And sometimes they give us tests that we really didn't need. And we take meds that our doctors really wouldn't have prescribed. 
because we've listened to experts that the doctors probably wouldn't have consulted, kind of like that friend on Facebook whose neighbor had similar symptoms and died, right? Well, there are words for people who misdiagnose their ailments. I'm not talking about words like dork and twit and wuss, although those apply sometimes, I think. I'm talking about actual medical words. I'm going to give you three actual medical words, almost sort of, kind of, right? Hypochondria. How many of you guys are hypochondriacs? I don't see any hands, which means a lot of you guys are lying like dogs, right? Hypochondriac is someone who has abnormal, abnormal anxiety about their health. Oftentimes, they're pretty sure that they've got a serious disease. And hypochondriacs can wear you out. They're always sick with something. Sometimes they're dying. And if you happen to get sick, they've probably got it worse, right? Hypochondria. You think you're sick even when you're not. And then there is hyperchondria. And if you were to look up it in most dictionaries, you probably wouldn't find it. But if you check the Urban Dictionary, which is the dictionary of slang, you'll find hyperchondria, which is kind of the opposite of hypochondria. It's not good Greek, but that's the way it's defined, right? And basically it's this. People who don't want to admit they're sick. Any of you guys hypochondriacs? You just refuse to admit you're sick even when you've got all the symptoms? You just hate admitting it? According to the Urban Dictionary, it's a persistent conviction that you're not and likely never will become ill. It's the blatant disregard for your symptoms and your insistence even if there's all kinds of medical evidence to the contrary. Perfect example of hypochondria. How many of you guys watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Right? Great movie, by the way. Think Black Knight. King Arthur cuts off his arm, tis but a scratch, I've had worse. King Arthur cuts off his leg, it's just a flesh wound. Hypochondria, you just won't admit you're sick. And one more, apochondria. And if you search the dictionaries, you won't find it because I made the word up last week. Okay? I took the word apathy and I jammed it into chondria just so that it kind of rhymed with the others, okay? Apochondria, I don't know if I'm sick, and I don't care. I simply don't care. Don't know, don't care. Probably couldn't do anything about it anyway, so why worry? Doing fine the way I am, so don't worry, be happy, right? Guys, hypochondria, hyperchondria, apochondria, all of that stuff can be bad when it comes to physical sickness. It is infinitely worse when it comes to spiritual sickness. And we battle all three. Because we're hybrids, aren't we? There's a part of us that is physical like the rest of the animals in this world. There's a part of us that is spiritual. And just like that physical part of us can get sick and die, so can the spiritual part of us get sick and die. And guys, that is infinitely worse. Spiritual hypochondria. Person who has an abnormal, unwarranted anxiety about their spiritual health. And a lot of Christians battle it. You know why? They're always sick. They're always dying because they refuse to accept God's grace. We talked about that last week. Guilt and shame. 
You are immersed in guilt and shame because you refuse to accept God's grace. And spiritual hypochondria can steal your joy. And it does that for a whole lot of Jesus followers. Spiritual hyperchondria. Someone who refuses to admit they're sick. And there are a lot of Jesus followers and there are a lot of people who are not Jesus followers who have that one. Oh, maybe I'll admit that I sin a little, but I'm more good than most. Better than you, probably. My sins aren't as big as yours. Spiritual hypochondria. Pride. We talked about that two weeks ago. Refusing to admit that you need some grace. And that'll kill you spiritually. And spiritual apochondria. Don't know, don't care. Don't worry, be happy. I don't want to know if I'm sick spiritually. And if I do discover that I'm sick spiritually, I can live with it, been living with it, doing okay the way I am. Maybe I tried fixing it a little bit one time, but just the way I am now. And spiritual apathy can kill you spiritually. Guys, we're in this series called Bloodstained Pews. It's about being the kind of a church where the wounded, the bleeding, the spiritually sick can find healing. And that's us, right? Every single one of us has spiritual wounds. Every one of us needs healing. We want this to be a place where we can find that kind of healing. We want it to be a place where they can find that kind of healing, no matter what uniform they wear outside these walls. But listen, guys, if they're going to find healing in here, we'd better be finding some healing in here. If you don't admit you're sick and you're not finding some healing, there's a problem, guys. And so we're starting out this series by knocking down some of the roadblocks to our healing, things that prevent us from getting healed, things like pride. We talked about that two weeks ago. Things like guilt and shame. We talked about that last week. Today, it's apathy. Do you care that you're spiritually sick? Do you want to be well? Really? In fact, I'd like us to pray that prayer that we started with two weeks ago. And read it again. Read this prayer with me and make it your own if you dare. Let's go. Ready? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's hard. God, point out anything inside of me that offends you because I want to be on that path to everlasting life. So here goes. Here's the story that we're going to look at. John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, sometime later, which means sometime after the stuff that happened in chapter 4, right? Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals, and he doesn't tell us what the festival was. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles probably doesn't tell us because it really doesn't matter. Basically, the point is, is that the place is just flooded with people. During the festivals, people would come from all over. Jews would come to Jerusalem for the festival. That's probably why Jesus was there in Jerusalem instead of up in Galilee. Verses 2 to 3. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was a pool called Bethesda, five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. And the reason it mentions this gate is that back then, these cities were surrounded with these massive walls. And it was a defensive thing back then. You had these city walls. And so to get inside the city, you'd have to pass through these gates. And apparently this sheep gate was one that they used to bring the sheep in for the sacrifices in the temple. Big thing in Jerusalem, especially during festival time, right? By the way, 
If I'm going to take a dip in a pool, I'm not sure I'd pick the one by the sheep gate. You ever been around sheep? They stink. And sheep leave all these little raisins behind, right? And I'm pretty sure that some of those raisins are probably floating in that pool. But there's still a reason for being at that pool, this legend of the bubbles, which gave these sick people a great reason to hang out there. You see, for maybe a multiplicity of possible explanations, for some reason the water in that pool would occasionally start bubbling. And those guys believed that maybe an angel was touching that water and that whoever would dive in first would get healed from whatever was crippling them. Kind of like holy water on steroids. By the way, I have some of that bubbling spiritual holy water down in my office for three easy payments of $49.95 if you want to talk to me afterwards. That's humor, by the way. Kind of, sort of. Anyway, some of those who were really, really sick back then were really, really desperate too. Those who were physically crippled, and I know that that's a word that we don't try to use anymore, but back then there were no such sensitivities. No wheelchairs, no public accommodations for those with disabilities, no Social Security disability benefits, no capable ministry, no wounded warrior projects. A lot of people with disabilities struggle with their bladder and their bowels. In that world, there were few places where you could clean up, so they'd be particularly dirty and malodorous. And there were none of the miracles of modern medicine that they could look forward to to possibly give them a ray of hope. And maybe what was worse than all of that is in this world, people connected sickness with sin. And these people who were really, really sick, disabled, crippled up, must have committed some really, really big sin in order to be there in the first place. Maybe these crippled guys are just getting what they deserved in their eyes. Dorks. And along comes Jesus. And Jesus does not do what you might expect him to do. In fact, he doesn't do what you might choreograph if you were choreographing the scene. I mean, Jesus is God, right? Jesus had the power to heal everybody there. Kind of like Oprah on steroids. You get a healing, you get a healing, you get a healing. Right? Everybody gets a healing. He doesn't do that. Now Jesus does heal people occasionally to prove that he could. But Jesus didn't go around looking for people to heal ordinarily. He didn't look for hospitals that he could empty or look for leprosiums that he can kick all the people out. Because that wasn't why he was here. Do you know why? Because, guys, healing your body is not the most important thing Jesus can do for you. Do you understand that? He didn't come to fix our broken world yet. He came to fix our broken souls, which is infinitely more important if we would let him. So Jesus narrows in on just one guy to make Two points, I think. First of all, to show the twist, these crusty twerps who were always watching him that to heal a man on the Sabbath was a perfectly God-honoring thing. I'm not going to get into that point at all today. The second one is this, to pose an incredibly important question, do you want to get well? Every one of you, 
Do you want to get well? How badly do you want God to heal you? So here's what happens, verses 5 and 6. One of the guys who was lying there had been sick for 38 years. Now, guys, the lifespan back then is only about 40 years, so basically he's been sick his whole life, right? John says, when Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked this crazy question. Want to get well? Seriously? Sounds like a stupid question, doesn't it? Till you start thinking about it. Let me throw the question at you. Are you ready? Do you want your marriage to get well? Seriously? Seriously enough that you're going to fundamentally change how you treat each other? Because, guys, if your marriage is sick, you're not doing it God's way. You want to get well financially? Seriously? Badly enough that you'd be willing to cut up your credit cards and postpone getting those things you really want but can't afford right now? You want to get well? Do you want your friendships to get well? Seriously? Badly enough that you're going to spend less time dissing people on social media and blessing people with face-to-face presence? You want to get well? Do you want your shame to get well? Seriously? Badly enough that you're going to be willing to set up some accountability to where you surf online? Badly enough that you're going to start filtering what you're watching, binge-watching on TV? Do you want your relationship with your family, your neighbors to get well? Badly enough to stop harboring some grudges? To quit trying to get even? Start living the way God wants you to? You want your body to get well? Seriously? Badly enough that you're going to be willing to exercise more and eat less? <laughs> Not a stupid question. Do you want to get well? But every single one of you, if I said, do you want to get well, you'll be able to think of one or two or three or four things where you need some healing, right? Every one of you. Do you want to get well? I read this one article that said that 80%, 80%, four out of five of our health issues are caused by factors inside our control. We control. Because we don't want to get well that badly. So we eat too much, drink too much, smoke too much, we don't exercise enough, and we don't handle stress well. Do you want to get well? And when those behaviors put us in the hospital for some kind of a procedure, when we get out of the hospital, we go back to the same old behaviors that put us there in the first place, right? You want to get well. Badly enough that you stop doing what's making you sick. And because I... I'm a sarcastic twit. If I was that crippled guy and Jesus looked at me and said, do you want to get well? I might have answered something like this. Nah. I've only been sick 38 years. Vern's been sick 40 years. I don't want him to outsick me. Or I might say something like this. Do I want to get well? Nah. I just love hanging out at a pool every day with all these sick people. You want to get well? If I was hypersensitive, I'd say, who are you calling sick, Jesus? You're labeling me Jesus? Maybe I'm just differently abled. Or, do I want to get well? Ah, I love crawling around in my filth. It beats a desk job like most others have. 
So what's he doing? What's Jesus doing? I mean, Jesus doesn't ask stupid questions, guys. What's he implying? If he asked you this question, what's he implying? Maybe he's asking, have you given up on getting well? You've given up trying? I mean, I get it. The longer a problem lasts, the more discouraged we get, right? Or maybe Jesus is like, have you given up on God, dude? Have you? Maybe you've been praying to God over and over and over for a long, long time, and it just feels like you're praying to an empty box. I'll bet some of you guys think that God is punishing you for some reason, and you're ready to give up on God, right? Or maybe Jesus is like, are you just playing the victim? Telling yourself no one cares, no one's willing to help? Because the longer a problem lasts, the more we tend to disrespect the people around us who do care, right? Or maybe Jesus is like, do you have any idea who I am? Do you have any idea what I can do for you? Do you? Know who he is? Do you believe that he can heal you? Well, here's what the guy says. He says, I can't, sir. I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets ahead of me. I can't. No one will help me. It's not my fault. No one will put me in. I can't. Doing the best I can. Is there any tinge of apathy? Do you know that sometimes apathy is a defense mechanism? We use it to protect ourselves from getting hurt. I can't. I don't care anymore. What difference will it make? So what? I don't give a crap. Doesn't matter. Give up. Been there, felt that. Guys, every single one of us is broken, and we live in a broken world, so we've all got these issues. Physical issues, but even more than that, we all have these spiritual issues, right? We all battle these spiritual pandemics. And did you know that the longer a problem lasts, the more discouraged you do get? I mean, some of you guys have battled the same problem, the same sin for months, for years, some of us for decades. You've tried battling, kind of, sort of. Sometimes you try flat out hard. Nothing seems to work. The only thing you've discovered is that your sin is stronger than you are. And that's discouraging. And did you know that the longer a problem lasts, the more we tend to start making excuses? No one will help me. I've tried behaving better, but she's a jerk. I've tried canceling. That didn't work. I tried praying. That didn't work. Excuses, justifications, rationalizing, uh, blaming someone else. Do you know that the longer a problem lasts, the more we tend to compensate? It just becomes our normal just normal, just the way I am. We just live with it. Do you know that we have some highly functional alcoholics sitting in this room right now? And you know that your alcoholism is putting stress on your marriage, on your kids, on your job, but you've learned to live with it, right? Apathy. Some of you guys are living in a functional but a terrible marriage. You've learned to accept it the way it is. There's no real intimacy anymore, no real partnership. You're not making each other better. You're not protecting each other. In fact, you're tearing each other down. 
Maybe you're staying together for the sake of the kids. Maybe because you're afraid of God. You want to get well? Really? Some of you guys are highly functional overspenders. You're very proficient at living paycheck to paycheck. You know exactly how to use your credit cards to pay your expenses. You know how to avoid the bill collectors. And for some of you, not all, but for some of you, it's because you can't get past the sin of greed. You want to get well. Some of us, some of you, some of about everybody, segment of our culture, battle porn. You're highly functional porn addicts. You tell yourself, I'm not as doing as bad as adultery, right? As you ignore reading Matthew 5, because Jesus says otherwise. Tell yourself you still value your spouse. You still learn to cover up your tracks, you hope. Do you want to be well? A whole lot of us are functional on the outside, highly functional Jesus followers. We say we want the abundant life that Jesus promises. We want life to the fullest. But we settle. And we're willing to settle for far less when God's way just proves hard. Apathy. Do you want to be well? Do you know that you can't change what you tolerate? Do you know you make it really, really tough on God to change what you tolerate? Apathy is just a roadblock to healing, guys. You see, every one of us is a sinner. And every sin we commit makes a mess. We hurt the people that we're supposed to love on. We push the God away that we were created to love and serve. And we can't fix ourselves. We need help. We need healing. But we can't change and we make it really tough on God to change things that we're willing to tolerate. Apathy. So the question again, do you want to be well? Think you can? Well, in the story, the guy never answers Jesus. At least John doesn't record an answer, and John was there. Maybe was, there was just this silence, but Jesus isn't deterred by silence. He doesn't listen to our words as much as listen to our hearts, right? He sees right through your words. God can do that. Verses 8 and 9, Jesus says, Stand up, pick your mat up, and walk. Instantly, the guy was healed. And he rolls up his mat and he starts walking because God can do stuff like that, guys. I mean, some people look at this and the miracle just seems wild. Think it really happened? The bigger question is this. Do you think that there's a God? Do you think there might be a God? Because, guys, if there is a God, then a miracle like this is just child's play. Your healing is child's play to God if you'll quit fighting him. Jesus tells this guy, this guy who's been crippled up his whole life, get up and walk. And for some reason, he trusts him. He does it. By the way, guys, what did the dude do to earn his healing? The answer is nothing, right? It's called grace. Because we serve an infinitely powerful, infinitely smart, infinitely good, and infinitely loving God... And God can do stuff like that. So, do you want to be well? 
I mean, first of all, you've got to admit you're broken, right? It's the first step. And then you also have to admit that you can't fix you. Oh, I suppose there's, there's some little things about you that you can fix, but not the most important stuff. You need a healer. You need a savior. You're lying to yourself about your faith. And maybe you've told people before that you're a little angry at God and you can do a pretty good job of proving your case. Do you really want to get well? You're lying to yourself maybe about your pride. There's some questions that you have that keep you from Jesus, but you know deep down inside that the only thing that's really keeping you from Jesus is the fact that you just want to be the one in charge. Do you want to be well? Maybe you're lying to yourself about your guilt and your shame. You're rolling in it. Or maybe you're just telling yourself that you're not as bad as most. You're better than most. You don't need a Savior. Or maybe you're the other side of that and you keep telling yourself that your sin is simply unforgivable, right? You've sinned too big. You've sinned too often. There has to be some limits to grace, right? There's not. You want to be well. How badly do you want peace with God? How badly do you want peace within? How badly do you want just a taste of the life that God made you for, both now and for forever? Do you want to be well? See, we call him the great physician, the perfect doctor of the soul. And if you're battling spiritual apathy, you need Jesus. You need real truth and you need real grace, right? It starts with this ruthless honesty, this confession. Confess your sins. I own it. No excuses, no rationalizing, no blaming somebody else. I sin. I confess that to my God. And I'm not just confessing my sin. I'm admitting that I can't fix it. I'm not strong enough, good enough, smart enough to fix me. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Confession. And then repentance. It means a change of mind. It's a change of direction. I'm not just asking God to forgive me. I'm asking God to help me to look at my sin the way he sees it. And I don't like what my sin's doing to me. I don't like what it does to you. God, I want you to help me change. Not just words. I want you to help me change. That's repentance. And then maybe the hardest of all, actually accepting his grace. Trusting his grace. I mean, you got to just, at some point, just trust the awesomeness of our God, guys. And then give thanks. Gratitude. And grace is worth a whole lot of gratitude, isn't it? Do you want to get well? What is there that's broken that you need some help with, right? Do you believe that he's good enough, he's strong enough, gracious enough to help? And understand that the spiritual issues that you are battling are infinitely more important than the physical issues that you might be battling. Do you believe that too? Guys, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to the table of grace. And he came into this world not to fix our broken bodies yet. He came into this world to fix some souls. He went to that cross, died. That bread represents a body that was broken for every single one of you guys, individually. That cup represents the blood of Jesus that he shed on that cross. 
paid the penalty for your sin to make possible your peace with God. You want to get well. This is where you come. You come to Him, right? At this table, there's a couple of other things. There's an offering box, black offering box. That's where those of us who are Jesus followers and part of this church family, that's where we give our first part back to God. It's an act of worship. The white bucket, generous bucket, if you have a dollar or two you want to put in there, we just use all the money that's collected there to, to love on people, to take care of people who are hurting. If you need to pray with somebody, there's an elder praying for you in that room right now. Slip back there and let him pray with you. I'm going to step right down here, sit during this next time of the Lord's Supper. Come on down and let's chat. I'll pray with you. If you need to talk about making Jesus the king of your life, let's talk. Don't put off doing the right thing. Why don't you pray with me, please? Father, we acknowledge that we need you. We need healing in so many different ways. We acknowledge your power. We acknowledge your goodness. Give us the wisdom to bend our knees, ask for your help, and to give our lives to you. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. You're welcome.
It's our youngest daughter, Morgan. Uh, we're very proud of, proud of her. After a lot of consideration and her talking to us for the past two or three months, she's decided to accept Jesus into her life. Right, Morgan? Very proud of her. As uh, a lot of people have said, you know, this is the most important decision of her life, more important than marriage or anything else, because this is for her salvation of her eternal soul. Right, Mama? Mm -hmm. So, Morgan, uh, we got your confession of faith. Just repeat after me, okay? I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. The Son of God. And I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. Because of your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and for the gift of God's Holy Spirit. to walk like he said don't forget your bed why does this matter because you're not coming back here that life is over everything changes now
place where we are sick and hurting and lost, alone and afraid in the dark. Father, we, we know that you're the only one that can do that. This world has so much allure, so many different things that are pulling for our attention. And when we come into this place, we're reminded again that you've created this family, you've created this whole purpose and vision that allows for us to be able to reach this world. Father, it is what you've done in each of our lives that allow us to be able to go out to this world and be a light for them. God, thank you so much for loving us as you have. We pray each of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so glad that you chose to be here today, and we hope that you'll come back next week for our continuing staycation with chocolate, if you like that sort of thing. All right, see you then. Mm-hmm.